0: Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast, my name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much and let's get into the episode. We have an awesome guest today. April Gillum is the head of industry relations at Solve Health. In this episode, we talk about the importance of urgent care, interoperability in healthcare, what brought her into healthcare and digital transformation, the future of healthcare, and what she looks for in technology vendors. This is a jam-packed episode, I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did hey april how are you doing today
1: i'm great how are you zay
0: i'm doing great for those who don't know who you are uh, do you mind giving us a little background about yourself
1: yeah of course my name is april Gillum, and i am the head of industry relations at solve health and i've been with solve for about two years but before i came to solve i was an urgent care operator i was the chief operating officer of urgent care for kids in Goodside health in texas um, and we specialized in pediatric ur- pediatric urgent care. Um, we also were early to the race in telehealth in the urgent care space and offered um, actually telehealth services to school districts, which morphed into um, in-person health services for um, what they now call whole child physicals. Um, and that really proliferated during the pandemic. So our first uh, school district was actually in 2000, I believe it was 2019 in El Paso. And um, that program ended up being successful and we grew to other uh, school districts in the South Texas region. And um, pretty quickly when the pandemic hit, every single school district in the state of Texas wanted us. In addition to um, actually the Big 12 uh, Conference and the American Athletic Conference wanted us to do school testing or actually not school testing, but, football player testing so that they could still play football in that season. So, um, my, some of my last work that I did in, um, in the urgent care space was actually doing all of that, uh, football testing in that last season of, uh, 2020, um, with the American athletic conference and the big 12 and actually all of the bowl games that year. So, um, with the college football playoff committee, and with the sugar bowl and the cotton bowl, all the way to the time that I was uh, wheeled back to have my child. That was the last thing that I did. I was on the phone delivering results. So um, really enjoyed the time that I spent with Urgent Care for Kids and Good Sight Health. Um, you know, still am an investor in that company, uh, really believe in what they're doing. But I really, the reason why I came to Solve is because I enjoyed all of the digital, digital transformation that was made to our business. And that's where I really dove in deep, was um, actually just putting things together and connecting things through technology and operationalizing our business through technology. And so we actually went through five EHR transitions when I was there. And I was always leading those charges. I was always, when we would acquire clinics, I was always making those transitions and making that happen, winding down our AR. But also when we wanted to implement, um, you know, digital registration and when we wanted to implement online booking, I was always the one diving into that and making that happen. So, um, as I thought about making a career change, it was that I wanted to come into healthcare technology and proliferate all of the experiences that I had and the joy that I had in making not only our patients' lives better and those experiences better, but making our staff experiences better. And so um, that's why I came to solve and why I do what I do with uh, consulting other healthcare leaders and guiding them and making decisions in their their technology and it's not even just their technology, it's how they run their business, it's their business development execution, it's their digital transformation because that's the way that healthcare is going is technology enables us to give great care. It doesn't replace the humans, it makes the humans provide better care. So in a nutshell, that is who I am.
0: I guess you guys can understand why I wanted her as a guest here. So, um, yeah, no, you're. I completely agree. with you. The one thing I say a lot is augment, not replace. I think technology in healthcare can do so much for us, uh, but it can never replace the clinician. And like you know, kind of exactly what you said, it can help us streamline, operationalize, get things done quicker, reach people that we weren't able to reach before. So, I 100% agree with literally everything he said there. So, um, why don't we talk about what Solve does and what you know what what the company is and what it does?
1: Yes, so um, Saul's founders actually came, they both came from Trulio, which you know became Zillow. So their foundation is really consumerism. And after they left that space, they knew that they either wanted to get into another friction-filled space, which was either education or healthcare, and they chose healthcare. And so our promise is that everyone deserves to be free from the friction of everyday care and they saw that the most um you know the the access point of convenience and access is urgent care so that is you know same day next day care it is where people need like the convenience and the access and they need it right now and so that's where they started is this urgent care space And right now, depending on where you find the reporting, there's between 12,000 and 14,000 urgent care, convenient care centers. Um, Most Americans are within a five mile radius of a bookable solve health appointment right now. And so that is what we're doing is we are giving Americans the access and the convenience to find a bookable appointment within a five mile radius of them. And then for providers, we are giving them that access to patients and also acting as an efficiency software for them. So we dynamically to walk in patients with book ahead patients. So there's not that cluster of a waiting room where patients have to walk away because they're waiting for too long. Um, And then we're also giving the staff, you know, a better experience, um, helping reduce turnover through giving those better experiences to them. So they're not having a line out the door where they don't know who they should be calling back next. Um, So that's who we are.
0: No, that's awesome. So are you guys like a technology platform?
1: We are. We're a technology platform. Um, we are interoperable with almost every single thing EHR that you've ever heard of. Um, we remain EHR agnostic, and we try to be interoperable with other technology as well. Um, we do have major partnerships, um, you know, with with companies like Included Health that we just announced, um, so that we can. Uh, offer the final mile of care to you know care navigators like included health uh, major telehealth companies that might not have an in-person care component
0: yeah i mean that's that's awesome i mean one thing that um you know and i think a lot of people know is uh rural rural healthcare is struggling right now you know Mm -hmm. i did some research and one of my articles was like you know some people are 40 minutes away like and it's it's and a lot of it you know they just don't have access to care like you mentioned like you guys want your goal is to be 5 miles you want to within everyone which is amazing mm-hmm. and the thing that people forget is prevention can solve a lot not solve but it can help you not have to go to the hospital that's 40 miles away or an hour away or whatever mm-hmm. um kind of and that's why i think like urgent care right now is kind of misused not in the sense that because everyone just goes to the er like everyone's going to the er 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 like hey and most of the people in the er are not meant to be in the er i mean the patients are not going to know like we're the ones with the degrees they're not they're just coming in and that's where i think urgent care is a great place to be is that like middle ground between er you can't get to your pcp and you shouldn't be in the er and but like sometimes people just don't have even access to urgent care so it's great that you guys are doing what you're doing
1: yeah, and you know, the pandemic really spurred a behavior on that urgent cares are leaning into right now. So the pandemic really spurred on the behavior of, of healthcare consumers to use urgent care as primary care for two reasons. So you know that there is a primary care shortage in America and it takes between 26 and 27 days to get one of those appointments. Um, and so that combined with the awareness of urgent care centers that was proliferated during the pandemic, Um, You know, you have more healthcare consumers that are going to urgent cares for everyday primary care needs. And so a lot of these urgent care centers are saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and start offering these these traditionally primary care services like, you know, vaccines, wellness visits, things like that. But we're going to do it like at the access point of, you know, the convenience and the location, the access points. And so we are going to expand out those services, but we're going to be scheduling on an on-demand basis. So instead of having to schedule it out 26 days, you can schedule it the same day next day. Um, And so that is something that I'm really excited that the urgent care community is meeting patients where they're at and saying, hey, we're going to do this in the style that you want. Because most Gen Zs and millennials don't have a PCP these days. The other thing that Solve is doing is we recently, um, you know, we recently partnered with Quest to um, deliver direct-to-consumer preventative labs. So just allowing people to go direct-to-consumer and say, "I want to know more about, you know, my health," whether it is like women's health testing, men's health testing, um, you know, thyroid function testing, things that are preventative tests that allow people to know more about their health before they land in an ER, because they hadn't checked, you know, their own, their own function for a long time. And that's just sometimes how people behave, whether it's because they didn't have the funds to do so, they thought something was going to cost too much money. Um, Maybe it's a cultural thing where, you know, they lived in a family where you didn't go to the doctor, unless it was dire, you know, or there was a fear, a stigma of going to the hospital. So, Breaking down those barriers and giving people the access to find more information about their health is really important.
0: Yeah, no, I don't have a PCP. I'm a millennial. It's really bad. I'm in healthcare. I should have one. And um, no, I agree with you. And I think that, I think there's like this shift happening in healthcare right now, and you're more closer to it than I am, like the DTC part of it. And I think there's like some part of me that, you know, the healthcare part of me is like, like, oh, you know, we know best. You know, we do we really want the patients to no. know? And then I have to kind of slap myself out of it because that's not what healthcare is. Like, we shouldn't be gatekeeping somebody's health. Like, if somebody comes to us... I mean, there's been many times in my career somebody came to us complaining about something and not me personally, but I've read about it or whatever, right? They ended up in the hospital for something and it was just ignored or, oh, no, no, that's not it and whatever. And it ended up being something serious. And in the end, what is happening is people know their bodies the best, right? I mean, there will there be some like overuse of it 100%? We can't create a system for everyone, but I don't think it's a bad idea to give people access when they want it, when they need it, because health right now is, you, no one plans on going to the doctor. No one plans on, you know, getting labs done. It's not like something like we're doing. Like every, you can think about every time you've gone to the doctor, unfortunately, or whatever. It's usually for an emergency situation. And it's usually like you need to be gone, seen that day, or at the worst, in the next day.
1: Yeah. And what's been interesting to me is Solve, Solve's inner workings is very uh, diverse. And so I get to talk to people who have grown up in different countries. And one of my friends within Solve was telling me and showing me this menu from his home country that um, they basically order tests preventatively and give them as gifts a lot of times to their elder parents. And it's like a full preventative panel and also a CT a scan and an MRI. And it's just like a head-to-toe wellness check. And it's very normal to give that to your parents at holidays as a gift. What? And-
0: I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't run. what, where, what is- you don't have to tell me like what country is that I'm actually interested.
1: Yeah, it it was actually in a region of India oh. and yeah, and it was, it. and I'm telling you, he told me like, um, to translate it into us dollars. It was like $250 equivalent. Yeah. And, but it was something that they regularly did and it was very normal for you to do that as for your preventative health.
0: That's pretty amazing. Um, one mm-hmm. joke we have as South Asians is everyone, all of our parents push us to become medical professionals, doctors, whatever, but they refuse to see them or listen to us in general. So I'm glad that it's shifting a little bit at least.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I think that it was more of a, like, because my child gave this to me, I will do this for myself. I also got that indication. Mm. I could have been reading into that wrong, Um, but I just thought that was so cool. It was like an empowered thing that we're going to, we have access to order these tests for ourselves and we're going to do it to know if there's something wrong and then we'll action upon it.
0: Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. And I think that the DTC, like the whole, like at home labs at like hospital at home, all those things, I think they're good things to be happening because one thing about healthcare is it's personal. And if anyone's ever been in a hospital, it sucks. You're constantly being woken up, whatever. And then also if you can figure out something like, The other thing is like, let's say you have like low, I don't know, vitamin D, whatever you have vitamin D issues. Like if you can order a test and just make check your vitamin D, if it's within the level, like, why is it wrong for the patient to look at that? Right? Like, why do they have to come see us to just do that? And this might piss off a bunch of people listening to this, but I don't see the problem in that. Like, as long as they know the ranges and they're able to act, if we're able to show them like, Hey, you're in the green zone, you're good. Like then that helps them and it, you know, maybe lessens some of the burden that they have on, on, in general, like they might be feeling like scared about something. And if, if we can, if we can help them with that, why not?
1: Yeah. And I think that the important thing to note is, you know, these are preventative tests to give them information about their health, but they can't get a diagnosis or a treatment without a healthcare provider. So there's, there's nothing that they can really do short of like lifestyle changes, you know, like with a cholesterol test or like maybe with the vitamin D deficiency um, without a provider's enablement. So this is just telling them, should I go see a provider? Should I go get help? Um, Do I need treatment? And so it's getting them to the right care navigation faster in my mind.
0: Yeah. You're kind of getting rid of that initial step, And that's kind of what I meant. I wasn't saying that Mm -hmm. they're diagnosing themselves, but like, it's just like you're at least you, one of the problems with healthcare in general is and a lot of patients tell me is like just not knowing. And that, Mm -hmm. that, that, that stress can really hinder somebody. And if they're able to just know, even if it's low, at least they know, okay, fine, this is low. I'm seeing the doctor for this and then maybe we'll find something else. But like just knowing is half the battle. And I think we as healthcare professionals do a terrible job of bringing our patients in just healthcare in general, not just professionals, just healthcare in general Mm -hmm. is, it's funny how it's so personal to everyone but yet it's one of some of the hardest data or even you yourself, like if you're trying to call and get your health record, it is so hard to even just get your own health care data. And I think we're just moving in a good direction where we're, we're empowering. And it's the other thing, like we're empowering patients to take care of themselves, because I think for too long, we're like, it's been like, no, you do as we do. We do you do as we say you because we know best for you when it's really not that like we should be helping them along their health journey. We shouldn't be the ones telling them what to do, we should just be helping them along.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I don't want to throw a WebMD under the bus because they do great work. But I think sometimes, you know, we can get on a WebMD anxiety loop of, you know, once a week or once every day, other day, we're, we're Googling or WebMDing the same thing. And we, we could be empowered to go order a test, you know, for ourselves, if it's, if it's viable that we can order it. If we find out that we have a deficiency, we go to the provider same day, next day on demand care, and we get it taken care of instead of Googling the same thing over and over and over again for months and waiting until it actually gets into a really bad place where we do have to go seek a higher level of care. And that's how to me, we decrease care costs overall is we give power to the people.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're just like, you're like in my brain i think right now <laughs> and then like also from a clinician standpoint like if i have information before they come right like if i have the labs i have all that stuff before they come to me like i can direct the conversation i'm not sitting there trying to figure out ordering the labs and then getting on the phone like half an hour hour two days later like hey you know we have this you get their voicemail you can't really leave too detailed of a message and it's going back and forth like that just cuts all that out like for me like it saves me time too
1: Yes, absolutely. So, and I think, you know, one of one of Solve's core functions and benefits is that we want that patient to go where they've had an established relationship. So if they've gone to one of our core urgent care locations and that location has their health data, then we're going to surface that location first to that patient because we know that's the best experience for them and we see that 97 percent of the time our features that drive that loyalty they're returning to that same center so we're not going to have one of those patients like just randomly go to a lab because that's a disconnected experience for them so that's one thing i did want to point out is oftentimes that is the best thing for them is to go to the location or the center that has their health health records so that they can have the best journey
0: yeah no i mean i'm glad you pointed that out i mean that's that's amazing Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, I think everyone likes to go, and that's like like the most nerve wracking part when people are picking their insurance is like, is my doctor covered? Is this person covered? Is that person covered? And it's just like, I mean, I don't want to go into this, but like, it's, I think everything, you know, you should be able to go to who you want to go to. You've built trust. You've built all that. They don't have to relearn everything about you because in the end healthcare is very human oriented. Like it's a very human connection, If you trust your doctor, your pharmacist, your nurse, whoever you're like, you're going to start listening to them. You're going to, because you know that in the end, you've seen them for long. They, they are, they have your best interest at heart. A lot of times when you see a person like, you know, they're like, are, are they just trying to get me out the door? Are they actually listening to me? Like all these things are going in your head and we just expect them to like, just listen to us. Like we had like a five minute conversation and we need, we want them to listen to us for like their most, you know, personal needs.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, until we have, which I don't know if this is going to happen anytime soon, until we have interoperability on a national scale <laughs> um, with a full health care healthcare interface. I mean, it's it's going to be best for for patients to have their data live within one system and and have those those interactions in one system as much as they can.
0: Yeah, no, and in interoperability. I know that you're really interested in it. Um, like, it's it's the crux of what we need for digital innovation. Um, I think that you can't have digital innovation in healthcare without interoperability, and it's something that we need to figure out.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so these are a lot of the conversations that I'm having today is, um, you know, our, our primary customer base at Solve, partner base. Are urgent cares and on-demand care providers, you know, providers that are providing same-day, next-day care, and so um, you know, it's so important. Um, you know, if I look at if I look at a tech stack, the EHR is the foundation of that tech stack, and um, I compare this to building a house. Your foundation needs to be rock-solid so that if you ever wanted to renovate your house you wouldn't have to replace that foundation. you know. If it maybe had like a tiny crack, you could fill it in, but there should be like, th- this should be the structure for you, right? But it should also allow you to bring in other contractors and put things onto it. And they should, that foundation should work with those other contractors, right? Um, if you work with an EHR that says, no, 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 we do it all. You can't put anything on top of us. It's like buying a prefab house that you get into it and you find out that like you can't move anything around and that the walls are made of paper. <laughs> you know, that's that's what it is to be in like a closed DHR system that that says that they have it all. You're not going to be able to move anything. So it's so important that you're with the right EHR partner that is going to let you build what you wanna build and whether you're building it in-house or you're purchasing other you know, technology vendors.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's my dream. That's like my actual dream is having people dream about cars and houses. I dream about <laughs> healthcare interoperability. I mean, I also dream about cars analysis, but, uh, but no, I mean like my dream is like we, we, we start talking about health stacks, right? Like your EHR mm-hmm. is your, like you said, your foundation, your database, everything is connected to it. And then from there you can kind of build like, oh no, we want this billing software or we want this, uh, thing for, um, scheduling. We want this for note-taking. We want this for that. Like you build and customize it to what you need. Like the example I use a lot is a cardiologist and a cardiothoracic surgeon, they're both dealing with the heart, but they're com- wildly different patients that require completely different set of like appointments and follow-ups and the way you triage them. And the whole one, you cannot be everything to everyone. And I, that's the one thing that angers me so much. And I understand why, I mean, there's a lot of money being spent on these EHRs and I understand that you can't just like jump off of them, but there has to be a shift in like, we have to stop asking for the EHR to be everything for everyone. I mean, I think there is something to that too. Like the hospital systems are also asking these vendors like, Hey, can you guys do this? Can you guys do that? Can you guys do this? It's not always on the HRs. Like they're, I mean, yes, there is something they're probably like, Oh, there's money in this, but hospitals are also asking for it. I know that for a fact, like I worked at hospitals and I know that they're asking them to, Hey, can you build this? Can you build that? And if there's enough people asking for it, then they'll build it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. And I, I have to give EHRs credit. There, are, there are things that they do incredibly well, um, and you know, I will. I'll call out the ones that I are my favorite because I've worked with so many, and I'll call out the ones that that do it really well. That they they know their core functionality, but they also say, "Hey, we're going to be open and interoperable to all because we know that this is what our our partners want and our clients want, and so we want to do what's best for our clients." Um, and so I have a lot of respect for that. I think that groups like I'll just call them out. I think groups like Athena do that really well. They say, hey, we're going to do our core functions, really, we're, we're going to focus on that. So we're going to focus on the charting and the billing. And if you want to stack on top of us, be our guests. <laughs> and so and they don't charge, you know, for doing that. And so I, I really respect Athena for the marketplace that they've built, and um, you know how how they run their business.
0: Wow, I mean, I, I didn't know that. Um, that's that's awesome. I mean, that's good. I'm hoping that there's a fundamental shift eventually to that. Obviously, the big players are not like that, um, but we'll see. I mean, it's it's something interesting. I mean, but for me, like, you, like I think we just need it. We need we need to be able to talk to each other. I mean, there are bills being passed right now that are saying like, oh, they're forcing you, not forcing, but like there's, you you can opt in to be interoperable and all that stuff. And people are really excited about it. And I am excited about it as well, but there's a little part of me that's really jaded and was like, I'm not going to hold my breath. We'll see what happens when it comes, because there's interoperability and there's like, I mean, there's, and then there's interoperability, like, hey, we'll let you pull things from us, but we won't let you push anything. To me, that's not true interoperability. Like, you know, like, you need you need a completely open channel back and forth Um, like there because there's a lot of games that get played that people don't realize when they say they're interoperable but they're not truly interoperable
1: yeah agreed i i've been on the receiving end of those games and um you know i i think that there's the only people that lose are the patients And these providers, and it just does not make a lot of business sense, and a lot of human sense to put those groups and marginalize them. And so I I don't want to say too much more about that. But, you know, we are just doing a disservice to America to to close that off.
0: I 100% agree with you. Um, Obviously, I'm, I mean, I will say that I am very biased in this case. (laughs) Um, I will, I will preface my statements with that I am biased Mm -hmm. in it. But I do think that like the problem with the EHRs was they weren't created. They weren't created with like phys, like our input, like clinician input. They were created because they thought they they were created for their their own thing or they thought that this is what we needed. Like they duplicated they mimicked the paper workflow, but what they did was they just added more work, right? Everything that is mm-hmm. just, there's just more added work, right? And there's many people that you talk to that say, man, I love it when the EHR goes down because I can just go back to paper charting. I don't have to worry about it and move forward. And like, that's not the way it should be. Like even like, like mobile, like everything is mobile now. Like a lot of them don't even have like mobile first EHRs. Like there's, that to me is mind boggling to me. Like everything is in mobile setting. And that's not even talking about interoperability yet. Like there's just so many things that it's just not easy to use. It's just not. So we'll, I mean, we'll see. Like there's interesting things Mm -hmm. happening with like, you know, uh, now Epic signing a deal with Microsoft, like chat, you know, uh, open AI. So we'll see where mm-hmm. it goes. Um, I'm just here as a passenger and like just watching it from the sidelines. We'll see what happens.
1: Well, I do want to give you hope because <laughs> I, I cannot, I guess I cannot disclose who this is yet, but you know, part of my job in industry relations is I get to see a lot of upcoming software. Um, and I have seen, three softwares here recently, all of them AI based. And I have gotten super fired up about all three because they will reduce burnout and um, really supercharge the efficiency and like give power back to the people that work in the office. Um, One of them is coming, actually two of them are coming out of stealth mode now. And so uh, when they do, I will tag them in this podcast. Um, because one of them actually reduces door to door times in um in urgent cares, but also like basically completely writes the clinical chart for the um both the like clinical assistant and the provider um and so they get to just spend time face to face with the patient and so it's writing their clinical note for them and coding it um and then the other software is um an up and coming EHR that is all AI based. Um, so it's like, I mean, going to go light years beyond what like the dinosaurs that exist. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, I like that. And I think that, I mean, those are the things that kind of excite me. It's not the, it's not the crazy stuff. It's like the boring stuff. Like write the note for me, like get the labs or whatever. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. just do all the administrative tasks, build code, all that things, the things that are not like really sexy, like they're not going to like, the only people that are going to get excited for this are people that are working in healthcare. It's not going to get on the front page of the New York Times or anything like that. Uh, but those are honestly the things that healthcare needs. Is just like, like you going back to your point, like we need the foundation. We need to build that foundation first. Like right now what's happening sometimes with digital health, and I love digital health. I love technology, obviously. But like, I feel like we're coming from the roof down, right? Like we're just trying to get like the splash and big things. So I'm very excited to hear. I'd be, I'd be excited to see... Uh, who these people are, and definitely want to in- explore them a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll try to make an introduction for this podcast when they come out of stealth.
0: Yeah, so. that'd be awesome. I'm 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 for it for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you you've had a kind of a interesting ride. Like like you've been really in the digital innovation space for a really long time. So like, what has been like you know in your time here? Like, what has been like the biggest jump that you've seen?
1: So if I can go way back to the beginning, um, which is the beginning of my actual natural life, <laughs> I <laughs> uh, I think I need to give some context that I my mother was an urgent care physician. And even though she was not the reason I landed in urgent care by any means, some of my earliest memories in life are actually going to her urgent care on like Friday and Saturday night and eating Chinese food and pizza until she finished clinic for the night, which um, if you have ever worked in urgent care, sometimes you don't know when that is going to finish because even the clinic ends at nine o'clock, you might have a patient come in at eight fifty nine with a laceration and, you know, or pneumonia or something crazy. So, um, I watched her starting at the year. I want to say it was 2000. She was an early adopter of the EHR and that took seven years. And so I think that was my first taste of digital transformation um, watching her go through that EHR transition and I just watched how incredibly painful that was. Um, I even remember sometimes she, if I like, I, cause I was pretty young at the time, I think the year 2000 was when I was like in the fifth grade. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I even remember going to her clinic and helping her alphabetize like old school charts where you would like pull the thing, you know, like across the room. Um, because they were digitizing them, all of them. And um, I also remember because I grew up like dancing, and so I would be at dance competitions and she would actually have this really like it was a huge brick kind of laptop, and she would be taking her new EHR and typing in notes and stuff like that in the back of the auditorium so that nobody could see it for HIPAA reasons and stuff like that. So that was my first taste of anything digital innovation.
0: Yeah, I mean and it's 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 crazy. I remember the first time I used an EHR. It was like it was like wow, like this is awesome. Like this is but like I was as a I was a student, I wasn't really using it. I was just using it to copy and paste notes into my patient case or whatever I was doing at the time. Um I think I mean it's it's good I mean it's it's good and bad. Like the EHR I think has been the biggest leap in healthcare, for better or for worse. Um it has I mean, I don't wanna be like just Debbie Downer, like HRs have helped in some cases, like billing and all that stuff. It's been, it's great for that. It was, I mean, it's built for that, right? It's built for billing. It's built to that. And one thing, you know, we have to make money to help people, right? I mean, that's one thing that I had to learn when I got out of school. I was like, nope, we got to do this and, you know, whatever. But like, eventually you get, you, you figure that out. Like, hey, we need, we need, we need to stay open to do that. But I mean, like, what do you think is the next uh, big innovation? Like, I mean, you had mentioned AI, like, do you think that's going to be the next Big thing?
1: I think it's going to be <clears throat> AI to not to like replace the people, but to empower the people to be able to cr- like course correct what has happened in COVID, but also course correct and bring us into like the digital age because I think healthcare has been operating probably 10 to 15 years behind the rest of where industrial businesses live. So I think it's getting us course corrected, getting us, um, you know, just like burnout and staffing corrected and like getting all of that to where it needs to be. But I think the next disruption truly is in the, excuse me, the payer space and how we, pay and reimburse for healthcare because it is, and this is my personal opinion, this is not necessarily solved opinion, um, but I just think that the way that we pay and reimburse for healthcare is so jacked up right now. Um, you know, you can look at, for instance, how PDMs work, which I'm sure you know, um, is just a very jacked up space. And so I think that that is a huge, a huge place that we need to be focusing on next. Um, So I could go for a long time on this, but I think that we should probably have a more social element to how healthcare is paid. And that's where I think there's going to be a lot of disruption in the market.
0: That's interesting you say that because I, I would love that. Um, I think that. I mean, I I think I also come from a background of oncology where everything is really expensive and I've had Mm -hmm. literal conversations with patients where they're deciding, hey, am I going to take this life-saving drug or am I going to buy food? And like people think that that's just like, oh no, you're just like, uh, that." you're just making, no, I've had these conversations. Mm -hmm. I remember very vividly where a patient was on, like they needed a medication and it was months, it got denied and then we were going back and forth. It took like a month plus, we had to find grants and all these things, and eventually, after a month or so, and they were freaking out, calling us every week. I it got to twenty dollars, twenty dollars a month. Like, I mean, for mm. us, we're in a privileged position. Twenty dollars a month is nothing. We spend more on like lunch, uh, sometimes yeah. on ourselves for that. And so, I got really excited. I called the patient up. I'm like, "Hey, you know, great news!" And he's like, "What's up?" Uh, He's like, "We got it approved. We got the we got it funded." He's like, "Oh, great! How much is it?" I'm like, "It's twenty dollars. It's going to copay. I mean, the copay is twenty dollars." And he's like, I can't do that. I'm like, and I'm Ugh. like sitting there like, at first, you know, the the person in me, like, you know, like you get jaded in healthcare. I'm like, no, oh, man, this guy's lying to me, whatever. And then like, you kind of have to pull yourself out of it. And I was like, wait a second. what? what? I mean, I was just like, I, I didn't say anything back. I'm like, what do you mean you can't afford it? Like, yeah, $20 is too much. Like we, I can't, I can't do this. Like I need to, you know, pay the bills. I need to buy food for my family. I need to do all this stuff. And I just like, I went from like a super high right then to like mm-hmm. one of the lowest lows in my career. And it was just like, and it was just sad. Uh, thankfully we were able to figure something out for him, another drug. And I remember talking to other people that literally had to quit their jobs so they could get into Medicaid so they could afford their treatment. And like, that's not a system that works for people. That's, that's not something to me like that's working, you know, like also like, you know, people were afraid to tell their jobs that they had cancer because, they needed the job and they were afraid they were going to get fired because, you know, and then some people got dropped off their insurance completely the next year because they had cancer. Like, this is not a system that is working. Like, it's not working. I don't care whatever anyone says, it's just not working.
1: Yeah, I um, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I had uh, cancer and I remember how much uh, my, I guess, I don't know if they were infusions or is the thing called Sandostatin, and yeah. i remember seeing how much it was and it was six thousand dollars per instance that i was given that that drug and um you know the first time i got it, it immediately met my deductible you know um but i remember thinking to myself if i was not privileged and i did not you know have the ability to pay for this deductible and I didn't have this insurance plan, like how would I pay for this? Like $6,000 every single time I got this, you know?
0: Yeah, first of all, I'm glad that things are in the right direction for you. Thank um, you. Yeah, no, and Santa Santa is given monthly. Um, so like yes. that's 6,000, that's more than what people make in a month. Like think about yeah. that. Like there's most of America doesn't make, I would say after taxes and everything do not make $6,000 a month. And on top exactly. of that, they have to pay for things like they're heating and they're cooling food. Uh sometimes I have kids in school like you know like it's it's I think and I don't think people realize that going in like they think that people with insurance or people that are in our you know like in our realm we all have insurance, we all have this and we can pay for it even though like it's annoying. It's it's more of a nuisance for us than it is a life or death type thing. And that to me never sits right with me. Um, again, I can go on this for a very, very long time, mm-hmm. um, but it's just, I mean, so I'm glad that you say that I mean, it's good to hear something like that. Cause the pair space is one that I think is for me is like the hardest one to think about, because I think I've just been caught in the pair space for so long, just like all of the twists and turns that they put you through. And I'm just like, man, this sucks. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, people get burned out. You know, you have the HRs, like that's one mm-hmm. thing, but like, it's just like, you're not able to help people the way you want to help them. Like, you know that, Hey, this will help them, this, this drug or this therapy, they need it. And you're told no, and you're made to like jump through hoops. You're made to do this and you're delaying care for months sometimes. And, and in, in the case of cancer, like, you know, if somebody told you like, Hey, you know, we, you're, you're not covered. You have to wait two months, even though it's Probably okay. You're going to freak out. Like the patients are going to freak out, rightfully so, and that's just making everything worse. And it's we're not like 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 what are we doing at this point? Like, are we actually helping people? Or are we not helping people? And I don't think we're helping anyone in healthcare right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say we we are helping some people in healthcare, <laughs> but I we're confusing a lot of people because you know, for instance, a lot of Americans don't know that if you go to a pharmacy, the cost of the same drug is different at every single pharmacy. And so like for instance, a a drug that I have been prescribed for a really long time, um, the formulary changed for my insurance company who I will not call out politely. Um, And so I arrived to the pharmacy in January and they tell me, oh, April, um, this generic drug that you've been taking for three years Uh, You now have to have the brand name because the formulary changed. And to me, I'm like, oh, PBM and wants to make more money. Ding, ding, ding. Right. Um, And so we have to change your prescription. So we have to call your doctor. So there's now a week delay (laughs) to get this drug. And then I find out that this pharmacy is now going to make three times as much as they were making before. So, like, it just angered me so much. I, like, changed my pharmacy because I found out that Pharmacy A literally made twice as much as Pharmacy B on the same drug.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, and like I said, you know, coming back to my point, like, we need to make money to stay alive. I mean, to be open, but I think there's there's a difference between making money and gouging people for their money. Mm Because healthcare is one of those things um, that you can't say no, right? You know, like it's one of those things that, what are you gonna say like, oh, your leg is broken. Oh, you know what, it's too expensive. I'm not gonna, no, you're gonna You're gonna get your leg fixed. You're gonna go to the surgery, you're gonna do all that. And you just have to figure it out. It's the only thing in our life that operates that way. And I, and I don't know why people are okay with it. To me, it doesn't make sense at all. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you did that because I think, you're right, a lot of people don't know that they can do that. You know, like Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, you know, your mail-order pharmacy all of them have their own pay like fee schedules and everything and their own drr fees and all like i just learned about this last week uh Mm -hmm. like all these things and as a pharmacist work working with medicines my whole life like in pharmacies like it's even hard for me to navigate through all these things and like even for me like i forget or don't even think about going so i can't even imagine who has somebody who has no background in healthcare navigating through this because for me it's like head spinning
1: yeah. By the way, if you just go on GoodRx's website, you can price shop in your area. Go, go there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> know for sure. But, um, but yeah, let's bring this back to kind of like urgent care. And mm-hmm. sorry, sorry, I kind of took this off the rails a little bit. I'm sorry, no, you're good. But, but yeah, urgent care and Amcare, care. I think that you had mentioned like the like why it's so important, right? And like, and your your mom was an urgent care physician, like what kind of drew you to this space? You kind of mentioned that you were working with Solve like when you were <laughs> working at schools and stuff, like what, what kind of keeps you in this space?
1: Yeah, so um, funny enough, I so after I had a little scare with cancer, I um, knew I wanted to get back into the healthcare space because my degree was in biomedical sciences. I wanted to get back into healthcare. And so I applied for this job. Uh, with urgent care for kids. And I just happened to be sitting in a parking lot of a world market and looked up and was like, that is that job I applied for what? And they called me fortuitously, literally while I'm sitting in the parking lot. And so you cannot not make this up. <laughs> and so I uh, went in for an interview the next Monday, and they pretty much like hired me that same day. And um, I started when they had, I think, only three clinics and um, very quickly moved up in the company um, to be their VP of marketing, but I uh, realized that I liked ops more than marketing, uh, became their COO um, and helped them pretty quickly scale from um, you know Houston to, they were already in DFW, um, but from Houston to Austin, and then have further expansion through M&A in DFW and then we started doing more business development projects getting into telemedicine and then into the school districts um, and then doing the project with um, you know the the Big 12 and the American Athletic Conference and such. Um, But again everything that I was able to do business development wise was very technology heavy and so that's really what led me to Solve. Um, We started partnering with Solve I believe it was end of 2016 maybe 2017. Um, We had started to dabble in some booking and registration software um, but ultimately made the change to Solve because they were so um, innovation focused and they really wanted to work with us on our business goals. So they ended up being our first telemedicine, uh, vendor and w- worked with us really closely to develop their software. I think we were their beta customer on telemedicine. Um, they helped us when we did our beta project in El Paso doing that project. So, um, I really just trusted solve as far as, um, you know, their business principles, who they were as a company culture and things like that. Um, and that's what led me there.
0: That's awesome. Um, and that kind of, I mean, since you were in this, since you were in like that position of like evaluating digital, like their like digital healthcare, like what, like when, let me let me, I, mean, I, mean, I want to say this properly. What about a digital health company kind of excites you? Like when you're like, if you're in that decision making process, like what, like what about that digital health company is like you're looking for specifically? Are you looking like the founders, like their values, like what they're actually delivering, what they have delivered? Like, does that question kind of make sense?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think that who, I would say younger April would be looking for different things than the hardened COVID April. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I would say my educated self would be looking for um, proof points of value. So like who have they worked with? What have they developed? What have they achieved? Um, Truly what ROI are they providing? Um, I think that some of what I experienced through uh, tough lessons is I worked through a lot of technology vendors who talked big talk, but did not deliver. Um, so I would wanna actually talk to customer references that um, had been with them for a long time and um, you know talk to them about their experiences, um, the actual hard ROI they had gotten from the product and what those business outcomes had been. Um, I think that the other thing that I would be looking for is what does their support look like? Because a product really shows its colors when it breaks or it has an outage. And if you have support tickets lingering open for over a year, that's a problem for me. I need to be able to reach your support team. That's a big thing that I look for in technology vendors. Um, Are their technology um, support teams just bots or are they real people I can talk to? Um, I also look for accountability with the executive team. Um, I do ask the executive team, when's the last time you made a mistake? How did you take accountability and what did you do next?
0: Nice. I mean, that's, I mean, for anyone out there, get that list down because i mean i think that's a lot of good things for what about like health tech startups that are just starting out like how do they get through the door because that's a question that gets asked a lot right like hey Mm -hmm. you know they might have great values they might have a good support team and everything they just don't have previous customers or some data to back it up like what are you do you like what do you say to those those companies
1: so you need a great board and a great advisory board and somebody on that advisory board that is willing to be your first customer. You need to give your your software away for free to a few first customers who are willing to be your, you know, your case studies. So, you know, it is okay to go to a health system and write a contract and say, we will give this software to you for 12 months for free. And then we will start to charge you x amount of dollars or go to an enterprise customer even a smaller customer if you know that they are willing to innovate with you so that you can get the case study like that is like you you should be willing to risk it for the biscuit so called you know so that you can get those case studies because it will pay off in spades if you can you know get those references in the future so that's my big thing is like yes dollars and cents matter but if you can if you can swing it go ahead and get those beta customers through like offering it for free for like a trial period so that you can get the case studies and be very very dedicated to supporting and building what they need but make sure that they are representative of who your holistic customer base is going to be moving forward and make sure that it's scalable what yeah. they're asking you to do
0: yeah and sometimes you might not i mean depending on how well you implement and how quickly you implement and how quickly you can show that roi you might not have to do the old 12 months right like you can do it in a quarter or whatever just have base that's the other thing get baseline data so you have something to compare it to i think that's one thing yes. a lot of people overlook is just the baseline part of it
1: yeah and i think the other thing is really really research the problem that you're trying to solve like make sure that that problem is not a niche problem that you know is only going to sell to like just a, a tiny market make sure that there is going to be substantial tam for the problem that you are solving
0: um so what so if somebody wants to reach out to solve and they want to work with you guys what is the best way of doing that and also who do you guys work with
1: Yes, so we work with any group that is um, on demand or urgent care, on demand primary care, anybody who's providing same day next day service. We also have expanded our business development relationships out to any Um, national care navigators, national telehealth companies that needs connection to brick and mortar care. Um, So let's say that they, um, you know, like the included health example that they have a care navigation with employers and they need to connect them with urgent cares or on-demand primary care centers. Um, We have a business development arm that we can connect you to. Um, You can email me directly, directly at April at solvehealth.com very easy april at solvehealth.com you can also email us at hello at solvehealth.com and you will reach our uh, general email inbox
0: awesome and um so i'd like to end this with kind of uh, like what what advice would you have given yourself you kind of touched on it a little bit when you were talking about hard in april and that but like what advice would you have given yourself before like as you started this kind of like healthcare journey like, uh, like, like back then?
1: I would say leadership advice would be clear as kind. And, um, you know, I would tell her, just give the feedback right away. <laughs> don't try to sugarcoat it. And that would be my, my biggest leadership advice to myself. Um, and then my other advice to myself is don't try to boil the ocean. You cannot be all things to all people all the time um, sit back and, and savor the sweet moments because they go by quickly. That's
0: great advice. Great advice. So, um, if somebody just wants to reach out to you personally, uh, what's the best way of doing that?
1: Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at, uh, April Gillum, just search me April Gillum and you can also email me at april at Awesome.
0: April. Thank you so much. This was awesome. This was an amazing conversation. Um, yeah, no, thank you again.
1: Thank you, Jane.